Amen. Well, we're glad you're here this morning. Thank you for being with us. We're going to open up with a, a song we used to sing a long time ago. This was my mom's favorite song. I hope it blesses your heart.
of you can say amen to that this morning. He's blessed you. We're glad you're here. Thank you for being with us. Those joining us live stream, we're delighted you're here as well. Let's stand together. We'll all sing this morning. Brother Kent. Amen. As we stand this morning, we'll sing the dearest friend I ever had. That's the dearest friend I ever had. Let me give you several prayer requests. Brother DeLello will open us up in prayer this morning. I put out on our call system yesterday to please be praying for Sister Pinky Pendleton. Of course, uh, she and her daughter, Sister Anderson, joined our church a couple of weeks ago. Pinky's the one in the wheelchair, pancreatic cancer. Uh, she's in the hospital in Dobson. They're keeping her comfortable. Please pray for her, if you would. Pray for the family. Sister Kathy Cozart goes for surgery on February 1st to remove a spot on her lung. Please pray for Kathy. 
Sister Jennifer Scott's been dealing with COVID. Uh, Sister Lois Evans has cataract surgery. Sister Pettit had a death in her family. Uh, Sister uh, Debbie uh, Castle's husband, Donnie, has been diagnosed with cancer. Pray for him if you would. Lots to pray about. Continue to lift up uh, brother and sister Roar, Delmas and Annette, as they've dealt with COVID. Lots to pray about, but would you also pray for services today? We need the presence of the Holy One in our midst, and of course, He's always available. He's always here, but I sure want Him to do a work in our services today. Brother Delello, take us to the throne of grace. Let's pray together as Brother Andrew prays for us. Father, Lord, thank you for the chance to be in your house today, Lord. Thank you for blessing upon our life. Lord, thank you, Lord. You woke up this morning with a right front of mind, Lord, to come to church. Lord, I pray, Lord, to the ones that are sick, Lord, couldn't be yeah. here for spiritual reasons or for uh, physical impairments, Lord. I pray to be with them, Lord. The ones, Lord, that are ready to cross over and be in heaven, Lord, I pray to be with the families, Lord. Lord. I pray for the service today, Lord. I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit feel welcome, Lord. I pray His work will be done here, Lord. But I pray, Lord, this calm our spirits, calm our hearts for the next little bit, Lord. Help us to enjoy church, Lord. Lord, if there's someone here, the Lord does not know you as Lord, personal Savior. Lord, I pray that today be the day of salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Brother DeLello. I love this old song. It's one we've sung for years. We've redone it. I'm glad no, what, no matter what I face this morning, I can rest my case at the cross. You listen as the choir sings.
Amen. We're going to do one more for you, and it's a brand new one. Uh, we've heard it sung by a couple of groups here, and I just fell in love with it. So we're going to sing it now as part of SAGBC. Listen to the song. sing this again. I'm thankful this morning I know the God of the universe, and I'm thankful this morning that though I fail him, he never fails me. Amen. Sing it again, son, from the beginning.
Amen. Wonderful choir. Thank you so much. And let me give you one more prayer request, Ms. Renee. We're just telling me our good friends, we love them, at Blackberry Baptist, inbox the church and ask us to be praying for them. Uh, they are not able to do services today because of all the sicknesses that's going on. We've been there, done that. Uh, and, and Lord willing, uh, uh, we're going to pray for them. So you lift them up in prayer. We love that church and love the pastor there. A reminder of some special announcements. Let me go through them this morning. First of all, uh, we have one more week where we're collecting items to be mailed to our missionaries in England, Rob and Amanda Smith. Uh, you see all the items there. If you would please bring those in, including your favorite recipe. Uh, give all of that. Put that in Miss Leanne's outer office next Sunday. By next Sunday, we will uh, ship all of that over to them in England. So please be praying about that and help us out with that if you can. Also, next Sunday, uh, right after the church on January the 29th, there'll be a teen activity. Uh, you'll go to lunch and have uh, some time in Uptown Pinball. Uh, so keep that in mind, all of our teens. Sunday, February the 5th, which is two Sundays from today, uh, we'll be having a celebration uh, of our Christmas drama cast and crew uh, at the Chatham House. That says 6 o'clock. We're actually going to start at 5 o'clock. That's my era. Uh, so anybody along with their families that helped us cast and crew of uh, the Christmas drama, we want to do a, a dinner and say thank you uh, and uh, uh, just have a good time of fellowship together. We'll provide the dinner and we ask you, each family, to bring their favorite dessert. Make sure it's all sugar-free, fat-free, carb-free, and tasteful. Okay, somebody say amen to that. Uh, but keep that in mind. Sunday, February the 12th, we'll have our next baptism. If you've been saved but you've never followed the Lord in Believer's Baptism, we'd love to take care of that on February the 12th. You see me and I'll give you the instructions. February the 19th, choir practice, 3 o'clock. And I've also noted in there, please put on your calendars Sunday, March the 26th for our Hometown Hero Sunday, which is our opportunity to say thank you to our law enforcement, EMS personnel, and firefighters. We'll have a meal following the service, uh, free to them, of course, so you please keep that in mind. And a special announcement, it's been a while since I mentioned this, whenever you eat at Papa's Pizza, please let them know that you're from SAGBC and, uh, and to ask them to please put your receipt in our box every quarter. Uh, a proceed of those sales then gets donated back to the church. Uh, and uh, we use those for our teen and young adult activities. Mainly we buy pizza <laughs> to help feed them. So if you'd help us with that, I would sure appreciate it. All right, fellas, come on and make your way down this morning. You be obedient unto the Lord. Miss Marcia, those that are singing with you, you come on, and uh, we're going to pray and ask God's blessings upon the offering this morning. Father, we love you today, and we sure count it an honor and a privilege to be in your house this morning. Lord, we don't take for granted the fact that our church is open, and Lord, that we're able to have services. Lord, I pray your blessings upon those precious folks at Blackberry. Lord, that you bless them, heal them. Lord, I know they long to be in church today. Bless their sweet pastor and family. And Lord, I pray that your presence would be felt today. We know that you're always here, but Lord, we want to know your presence is real with us today. May you, may you manifest yourself today. Bless the offering in Christ's name. Amen. Oh, wow. <clears throat> me why I struggle alone when it seems all hope is gone. They ask me why in troubled times I can still sing a victory song. Let me tell you 
the reason why, though you may not understand, I'm struggling alone, singing a song I've heard of a Wonderful. Man, I'm glad I've not just heard of it. I know I'm going. Amen? Amen, Bridge. All right, let's Amen. all stand together. Brother Kent. Amen. While y'all standing, one more announcement I'd like to make. If you hadn't seen it on the big screen this morning, uh, next Sunday, uh, we'll be celebrating Miss Renee's birthday. It'll be her birthday next week. We'll be celebrating that with her. We'll have a gift basket up front, kind of like it was set up just for my wife. And uh, so we're going to celebrate her next week. There'll be a sweet treat to follow. I'm not going to tell you what it's going to be, but it's going to be something sweet. I promise you that. If we're going to meet, we're going to eat something sweet. Yes. 
<laughs> Amen, preacher. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> As we stand, we'll be singing, There is a fountain filled with blood. Aren't you thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ Amen. this morning? Beautiful song. Love this song. Let's enjoy it while we sing it. Three verses this morning. There is a fountain filled with blood. Come on.
Turn in your Bibles this morning, if you would, please, to the book of Joshua, chapter number 23, please, of the book of Joshua. Joshua, chapter number 23. While you're turning, I'll also ask you to be praying for the good folks at New Hope Baptist down in Burlington. Brother Randy Hobbs is the pastor there. We've had Miss Lisa here for Ladies Fellowship, and we've been down there many times. In fact, the whole Burlington revival that broke out back in 2016-17 started there. They had a, a tragedy in their church as a husband and wife, a very active couple in their church who were really part of the, one of the pillars of the church returning home uh, from, from vacation, and a car crashed, a call, crossed in front of them uh, on the highway, and everyone was unfortunately killed. So please pray for New Hope Baptist and the good folks there. Joshua chapter 23 this morning. I jokingly said to you a few minutes ago that Renee would turn 28 next week. Every time I, yeah, only amen I'll get. Most of you know that for 12 years I was an elementary school teacher. I taught third grade for nine years, second grade for three years, and have so many wonderful memories. I loved, loved, loved teaching third grade, loved being an elementary teacher, loved it, loved every second of it. And, and uh, one afternoon, uh, I was about 29, or 28 at 29, something like that, and I, I gave, I just, we had a few minutes left at the end of the day, so I handed out little sticky notes to all of my students, and I said, uh, I want you to put on this little piece of paper how old you think I am. Everybody, all the kids kept asking me, how old are you, Mr. Rogers? How old are you? So I passed it out, and I said, uh, right on here, how old do you think I am? And I think the youngest one was 19, and the oldest one was 80, you know. It was, I mean, it just ran the gamut, as kids are. And then I told them, I think, I was 30. I just turned 30. That's how this all came out. I said, I just turned 30, and, and their mouths dropped open, and and they would say, you're younger than my mama, you're younger than my daddy, I can't believe you. And I said, well, guys, if you think about it, and you know when I got married, you know when I had kids, I'm really, I got kids in diapers, I'm really not old enough to have kids your age. And, and uh, one of the little boys says, uh-uh, not me, Mr. Hodges, my mama's younger than you. I said, like, do what? He said, my mama is 28 years old. His name was Ryan. I said, Ryan, I don't, I don't think that's correct, buddy. I taught your sister five years ago. You know, I'm starting to do the math in my head here, and it's not working out. And, and he said, no, Mr. Rogers, my mama is 28. I said, Ryan, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not trying to dispute you, buddy, but your mama ain't 28 years old. And he said, Mr. Rogers, my mama told me that when a woman hits 30, she gets to pick her age, and my mama picked 28. Amen. <laughs> I like it. Joshua chapter 23 this morning. Joshua Chapter 23 opens, the one for whom the book is named, Joshua, is preparing to die. He knows that his time of service is coming to a close, and he wants to give, if you will, one more message, one more lesson to the Israelites. And he calls two meetings, chapter number 23. He calls a meeting with the elders and the leaders of all the people. And in chapter 24, he involves all of the nation, all the leaders of the families, and brings them together for a conversation. See, Joshua knows that when he passes, he will be the last of the second 
generation of Israelites. That first generation, the ones that escaped from Egypt, God caused to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. All of them, but Joshua and Caleb, died during the wilderness wanderings. Joshua has now been their leader for three decades, and his life is coming to a close. And, and now that second generation that watched as they crossed over the Jordan River, how they conquered the great walled city of Jericho, how the Lord enabled them to take up residence in the promised land, how he delivered city after city, how he done great and mighty miracles so that they could inhabit the promised land. That second generation is now getting ready to die. Joshua knows that there is now a third generation of Israelites, listen, who weren't there when they escaped Egypt. They didn't see with their own eyes the Red Sea parted. They didn't experience the manna in the wilderness. He knows there's a generation that was not there when the walls of Jericho came tumbling down just because they marched seven times around. They weren't there uh, to see the, the, the Jordan River dry up so that they could walk across on dry land. They didn't see with their own eyes all of these miracles. And so he, in his last will and testament, if you will, wants to remind the leaders and the Israelites, don't abandon the God that brought you here. Don't give up on the God that rescued you out of Egypt, that brought our inheritance across the Jordan River, that miraculously brought us to this promised land. Don't forget your God in the middle of your life. Before he dies, just wants to remind them who brought them this far. We live in a day, church, where we have forgotten who it was that brought us to this place. I have shared with you on many occasions that I am a bit of a nerd, a geek on generational ideology. I really love to study generational characteristics. Characteristics that identify, if you will, a, a given group of people. Right now, for the first time in American history, there are five generations in our workforce. Generation that we refer to as the, used to be referred to as the silent generation. Those born in the 20s and 30s were rebranded the greatest generation by the book that Tom Brokaw published some two decades ago. For every generation... There is a defining moment, a pivot point, if you will, a crisis or a celebration or something that really typifies or characterizes that generation. For that greatest generation, that generation that, that defended us from the great evil of World War II, defended us from Adolf Hitler, defended us, our world, and really secured America and the, and the entire world, that great pivot point is referred to as VE Day. The day when World War II stopped and there was a national celebration because our boys were coming home from the battlefield. That gave rise to what I would venture to say are probably a lot of you in here this morning, the baby boomers. Those of you that were born during the 40s and 50s. 
when the soldiers came home and the family exploded, and in fact, the baby boomer generation would become the largest in number generation that America ever witnessed. There was an explosion in the 40s and 50s of family life. There was an explosion of faith, in fact. But that generation also turned on its ear with a great tragedy that you know of as the assassination of JFK. That moment that a lot of you I see are nodding your heads, you know where you were when you heard about the assassination of JFK. The baby boomers gave rise to the generation that I'm a part of, Generation X, the latchkey children. Those of us that were allowed to come home and get off the bus and have a little key around our necks or at the door and let ourselves in because for the first time in American history, it took two families to earn a living. It took two people, rather, to earn a family income, and so both mom and dad typically were working. For Generation X, those of us that were born in the 60s and 70s, that great pivotal moment, I remember it well, sitting in sixth grade and watching the television as the Challenger uh, 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 space shuttle lifted off, and we were all watching it because a teacher was on board by the name of Krista McCullough. And then we all watched in horror as that Challenger exploded in front of our very eyes, killing everyone on board. Generation X gave way to what we refer to as the millennials, those who were born in the 80s and 90s. And their pivot moment was not just a pivot moment for them, but it was a pivot moment that would forever change the landscape of the world. We call it 9-11. I remember where I was teaching third grade, and, and suddenly the principal is coming around, knocking on the doors and saying, uh, make sure your TVs stay off. Make sure you don't turn on. We've had a tragedy. We didn't have cell phones then. There was no internet that we were part of uh, nationally then. And so he begins to go around and tell everyone, keep the kids calm. We don't want them to know. We need to contact parents. Uh, it truly became a national and international moment of redefinition. The millennials gave rise to what we refer to today as Generation Z. Those who were born in the 2000s and the 2010s. And though that question mark of what will become their pivot point still remains a question mark, there is increasing agreement that it will undoubtedly be COVID. That will be the thing that defines that generation, for it will forever redefine who they are, how they learn, what they do, how they communicate. I give you all of that this morning. Because there have been, in recent weeks, some very frightening statistics. Pew Research is the gold standard. It's what I read weekly, frankly, that discusses and talks about these generational differences and how things are beginning to change in American life and the definition of the family and the number of children. And, and you understand, folks, that the number of children is shrinking I've talked at length about my father's family. My dad's the next to youngest of 21 children. It's no reason, no, no wonder that I'm an only child. Amen. I, I don't think you'll be offended by this. We're all adults in here. I asked my dad one time, why do they have so many children? I never met my grandparents. They were dead before I was born. I said, Daddy, why do they have so many children? And he looked at me with a completely straight face. He said, they needed a TV. <laughs> you, you can think about that for a minute. Amen. Things are changing. Our population is declining in size. We are not producing enough offspring to replicate ourselves for the first time in American history. But what is really staggering is the association of faith between millennials 
and Gen Z. To listen to me. I'm not here to cast any shade. I'm simply giving you statistics. For the first time in American history, a preponderance or a majority of a generation has publicly said, we want nothing to do with God. For the first time in American history, 45% of millennials have said, we're not people of faith, we're not interested in church, and we're not associating ourselves with anything that has anything to do with faith. I'm not, I'm not suggesting just an independent Baptist church. I mean a synagogue, a church, a, a mosque, any place of worship. 45%, only 45% of millennials say we're associated with that, which means 55% say we're not interested in faith. That's a staggering difference between Gen X and millennials. The number has been declining for decades. That probably doesn't surprise you. But what was a gradual decline has now become a cliff. I said to you, only 45% of millennials consider themselves people of faith. Going to a mosque, temple, or synagogue at least once a week. When you turn to Gen Z, the number plummets to 39%. Which means 61%, three-fifths, six out of ten, three-fifths of that generation says, we want nothing to do with faith. That may not seem like a big deal to you, but hear me. It's a huge deal. Because it's not just whether or not you go to church, it's whether or not you understand the supreme authority. It's whether or not you recognize that there is right and wrong as defined by something other than yourself. If we don't understand that there is a supreme authority, if there's not someone to whom we answer, there is this notion, I can do whatever I want. Hear me, I got in some trouble a couple of weeks ago when I spoke to a group of students and they asked me a question about this. And I said, the, the absence of authority is not freedom. The absence of authority is anarchy and chaos. And if there is no authority to which we are responsible, we are in a mess. And that's the message that Joshua is giving to these Israelites. These third generation Jews who did not see the miracles, who weren't there when God did great things. Can I say to you this morning that third generation needed a new Message about the same God. Hear me this morning. I want to give you a message that I'm entitling, A New Generation Needs an Old Message. A New Generation Needs an Old Message. That was a long introduction. I'm going to preach fast. Number one, note with me Joshua's concerns. Please go to chapter 23, verse number one. Came to pass... A long time after that, the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. Joshua called for all Israel and for the elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers and said to them, I am old and stricken in age. Ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. 
Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan, with all the nations that I've cut off, even unto the great sea westward. The Lord your God, he shall expel them from before you and drive them out from before your sight. Ye shall possess their land. And the Lord your God hath promised unto you, look at verse 6, please. Be ye therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye might not turn, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left. The first concern that Joshua expressed here in verse number 6, he fears their complacency. Hear me. He fears their complacency. Joshua looks around and he sees a third generation of Jews living in a land that they didn't fight to defend. Listen. He sees a generation coming on. They've got homes, they've got families, they've got food, they've got a temple, they've got everything that they did not have to lift a single finger to create. It was their fathers, it was their grandfathers, it was their mothers, it was their grandmothers who witnessed the deliverance out of Egypt. It was the previous generation who had to depend upon God. And now that life is good and God has given them everything that they want, Joshua says, I'm worried because there's a generation who didn't fight for it and they're going to take it for granted. Does that not describe where we are today, church? As frightening as the statistics were from the millennials, and I'm not casting shade. Look, I love millennials. I love Gen Z. I give my heart and life for these young people. But hear me, as frightening as their expressions of faith were, what's even more staggering to me is 48% of them say capitalism is a good plan. Now, you're going to say, preacher, you're going political. No, hear me. If you were in Sunday school this morning in the adult lesson, you'll know I'm not. Understand me this morning. More than half, listen, I'm going to get in so much trouble. More than half of Gen Z say they prefer socialism to capitalism. That might not seem like a big deal to you. But socialism is the ugly stepsister to communism. Socialism says, I don't want to work for it, but I want it. Socialism is an ideology that says, I'm entitled whether I work for it or not. May I say to you that our Bible says, this is how I know this is biblical, our Bible says that if a person won't eat, that's fine. A person won't work, that's fine. He's worse than an infidel. He doesn't deserve to eat. Don't misunderstand me. I will give my very breath. I'll give every piece of money in my pocket. My wife gets so mad at me. If she had any idea how much money we've given away, she'd leave me. I have no qualms whatsoever about helping people who are in need. But the idea that I don't have to do anything, that you don't have to do anything, and we should get what our parents and our grandparents gave their lives for, there is nothing biblical about that. It's a staggering change in our society. Again, I'll get in trouble for this. Ronald Reagan was very famous when he said, socialism is wonderful until you run out of somebody else's money. 
Amen. Do you understand? Nothing is free. Somebody is paying for it. He fears their complacency. But he also fears their compromise. Look at verse number 7. Chapter 23 of verse number 7. That you come not among these nations. These that remain among you. Neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them. Let me back up three decades. This does not sit well with our 21st century faith-based audience. When God gave to the Jews the land of Israel, the promised land, he did so with a very clear requirement. He said, this land is yours. I gave it to your ancestors. In fact, you can read about it in Genesis chapter 12. God gave it to Abraham. And he said, as you cross over, don't just overtake these cities, destroy them. Wipe them out. Again, this doesn't sit well with us. But God knew uh, that if he, they did not destroy them, uh, then their ideology, their faith, uh, would compromise the faith of the Israelites. You can read the story uh, in the book of Joshua, how city after city, uh, they allowed the residents to live. Uh, we, we appreciate that from a humanitarian perspective. Now we're 30, uh, 30 years, three decades later, and Joshua said, we've got a problem. We didn't do what God said. And now uh, we are compromising who we are, compromising what we stand for, compromising what we believe, and allowing them to change us instead of us changing them. He fears their compromise, fears their complacency. He also fears their lack of commitment. Look at verse 8. Cleave unto the Lord your God as you've done this day. For the Lord hath driven out before you, from before you, great nations and strong. You notice he doesn't say you've driven out. He doesn't say it was your own skillfulness in warfare. He doesn't say it was your own aptitude for battle. Uh, the Israelites did not do anything battle-worthy to see Jericho come crashing down. They didn't pick up a sword uh, to get those walls to fall. They had some work they have to do afterwards. Uh, all they did was follow God, and God gave the victory. God did everything. So now uh, he's worried about their lack of commitment. He says, it's the Lord that's driven out the nations. As for you, uh, no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day. May I say to you this morning, Joshua's fears, I think, are being manifest all around us. We must hear me. Oh, my independent Baptist brethren are going to get mad now. You know, it's a good day when everybody gets mad at you. We must change the way we deliver the message. Because what we are selling, there's two generations, they ain't buying. Are you hearing me? What we're trying to give them, they're saying we don't want. So if we rely upon what worked 60 years ago, the very definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. 
So if that means that we have to feed a football team some pizza so that we can get the gospel, let's feed a football team. If that means that we have to do things differently uh, to, to, to do a, a fall festival. When I was a kid growing up, there wasn't an independent Baptist church in Henry County that had done something like a fall festival. But if that's what brings somebody, I don't mind giving them a piece of candy and give them a track at the same time and tell them about church on Sunday morning. Uh, the me- hear me, the message doesn't change. We're still talking about the same God. We're still talking about the same virgin-born Jesus uh, who was crucified, uh, who lay in the tomb for three days. Uh, but on that third and glorious morn, uh, he was resurrected. Now he sits at the right hand of the Father. Uh, if I have to change the delivery to get to a new generation, then by golly, let's do it. Because the nation is worth saving, church. Amen. He fears their commitment. Number one, Joshua's concerns. Number two, Joshua's challenge. Go, if you would now, to verse number 11 of chapter 23. Joshua reminds them about the wrath of God. Verse number 11 is, in fact, the crux of his message. It is the centerpiece of this, his first speech to the leaders. He says in verse 11, Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves. That's another way of saying, mind yourself. I've told you on many occasions, my mother would always say to me, from the time I was five until the time I was 45, uh, she would say, Greggy, don't you dare call me that, by the way. <laughs> She'd say, Greggy, be smart. For the longest time, I had no idea what that meant. I thought, Mama, what's the alternative? Be stupid. <laughs> the day before Mama died, I'm going to the cafeteria at Baptist Hospital to get me a cup of coffee at 6 o'clock in the morning. She's been up all night long. I thought she's asleep. I grabbed the door. She says, Greggy, where are you going? I said, Mom, I'm just going to get a cup of coffee. She said, be smart. I said, I turned to her. I shouldn't have done it. I was tired. I said, Mama, what do you think I'm going to do between here and the cafeteria? God is my witness. She looked at me and she said, don't forget who you are, boy. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget who you represent. What would you say, preacher? I looked at her and I said, yes, ma'am. That's exactly what Joshua is saying in verse number 11. Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves, that ye love the Lord your God. For the believer, it really comes down to two simple things. As a child of God, we have two ways of living our life. Number one, we can be inside the will of God and be blessed. Or number two, we can be outside the will of God and suffer the consequences. Uh, and Joshua is reminding the Israelites what you have uh, God gave you, the families God gave you, the homes God gave you, the country God gave you, the temple God gave you. Uh, take heed, be careful, don't turn your back on him now. There's a price to pay. Look at me, church, 30-second rabbit hole. Our nation is paying the price for having turned away from God. Our families are paying the price for having turned away from God. Uh, Hear me this morning. There is a price to pay from going against what God hath clearly ordained. Reminder of the wrath of God. He also gives a reminder of the works of God. Look at verse 13. Same chapter. Verse 13, know 
for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you. It's a warning. You turn your back on God, there will be consequences to pay. Now jump to chapter 24. The next chapter, verses 1 through 13, Joshua outlines in very quick summary form how good God been to Israel. In chapter 24, he brings everybody together. Chapter 23 is the leaders. Chapter 24, he brings everybody together. And he starts by saying, I want to remind you just how good God has been. And you can read it with me in verse number 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. Go down to verse number 3. We're not going to read all of it. Let me give you some highlights. Verse 3. Chapter 24, verse 3, I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all Canaan, multiplied his seed, gave him Isaac, then I gave him to Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. Verse 5, I sent Moses, also Aaron. Verse 6, and I brought your fathers out of Egypt. You came under the sea. The Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots uh, with ho and horsemen under the Red Sea. And he goes on and on in verse 11. You went over Jordan and came into Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought. Verse 13, and I've given you a land. Look at verse 13, church. Start. I've given you a land for which you did not labor, cities which you didn't build or you built not, uh, Verse 13, and, and, and ye dwell in them of the vineyards and olivers which you planted, and not do you eat. In other words, I've given you the land, I've given you the home, I've given you the vineyards. You didn't do any of it. I gave it to you. Don't take for granted. Hey, church, again, I, 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 love, I love kids. I love teens. I, love, I get so tired. I was, I, was, I was doing a workshop a few years ago for public school teachers in another state. And that this group of teachers, they just could not stop complaining about their students. Now, look, we all complain, but this group really could not stop. I mean, they just, they just whined. And look, I, I love teachers. I was one. I still am at heart. And I looked at them, and I said, guys, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you know mamas and dads are sending them the best they got. They ain't keeping the good ones at home and sending y'all the leftovers. These are the kids you got. So rather than whining and complaining about them, let's embrace them and try to take the time God's given us to mold them into a profitable something or somebody. I'm not here to throw shade against millennials or Generation X, but if I could get a hold of them, here's what I say. You live in a country you didn't fight for. You live in a home that you didn't have to lift a finger to create. You have food on your table that you never have to lift a finger to prepare. You've got clothes on your back. You've got shoes that cost more than what house payments used to be. You've probably got some kind of electronic device that's got more computer power than what they had when they sent the astronauts to the moon. Don't sit back and whine about how bad you got it. You didn't do anything to get any of it. In other words, be thankful because as bad as you think you've got it, we're better than 98% of the rest of the world. The worst among us is better than 98% of the world. And what Joshua says to this generation is, God gave this to you. Don't take it for granted. Because it can be gone like that. I'm almost done. I got three points. We're not going to get to them. 
Finally, notice, if you will, he gives a reminder not only of the wrath of God, the works of God, last one. He gives a reminder of the will of God. It is this particular part of the speech that always gets the most attention. There's a verse in here, verse 15, that we'll all shout about. I'll shout right along with you. But it is the entire speech that warrants our attention. But let's look at verse 14. Now, therefore, in other words, because of all this, because of everything that God has given you, because you live in a land that you didn't have to fight for, because you live in homes that you didn't have to create, because you've got everything at your disposal and you didn't have to do a thing to earn it. Look at what he says in verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. Look at verse 15. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. And he says, middle of verse 15, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And everybody, let's read this last part together. One, two, three. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will all shout about that clause. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But you know what dawned on me? Joshua's talking to Jews. He's talking to people who should have known better. Hear me. Nobody should have had to look at the Israelites and say, quit serving the Amorite God. Nobody should have had to look at the Israelites and say, you're acting wicked and following after the Canaanite gods. God said don't do that. God had been good, good to these people for Joshua to have to stand up and say, choose you this day. I kind of feel the same way. I kind of feel the same way. So here's what I know. Everybody who goes to church, they ain't all going to serve God. They're just not. Everybody who says they're a Christian, they're not all going to serve God. Do you know what I know? Me and my family are. I'm not trying to be caustic. I'm not trying to be bombastic. I'm not trying to be in your face. But here's what I know. God's been too good to me and my family. I ain't, I ain't stirring my back on him now. He has blessed me and my family. I had my entire life laid out 25 years ago, and I ain't doing nothing that I said I was going to do. But the life God the life God gave me is better than anything I imagined 25 years ago. The life that he's crafted for me, the family he's blessed me with, the church he's given me, uh, the job, the work that he allows me to do is far better than anything I could have imagined. On July the 4th, our nation will celebrate its 247th anniversary. God's been too good to this country for us to keep turning our back on him. Mother's Day... Our church will celebrate its 12th anniversary as a merged body. God has been too good to us. 
for us to stop now. I'm reminded of the old Vestal Goodman song. How many of you know who Vestal Goodman is? The rest of you should probably get saved. I love Southern gospel music. Vestal Goodman is part of the Happy Goodman family. She was about 5'2", and when she put her hair pieces in, she was 6'9". Beehive all the way up. I know well. My mama had the same thing. My mama emulated it. My mama would have her hair done wash once a week. Wash it once a Ooh, wash it once a week. Go in with the bag and the hair pieces, and on Saturday, she'd get her hair done, and it would be stacked on top of her head. My mama was 5'2", 6'8", with her hair on, and she'd go to bed and wrap it in toilet paper. Do what you got to do, sister. That's exactly right. <laughs> Vesta would get up with the happy Goodmans and sing, I wouldn't take nothing for my journey now. I feel the same way, church. A new generation needs to know that we live in a country that they didn't fight for. And there's con this country's, we ain't perfect. We got all kinds of problems. But I'm about done with the problems taking center stage and we forgetting that God has blessed this country. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Another generation needs to be reminded that God's good and He blesses them that are faithful. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you want to just say, God's been good to me and my family, you want to slip up to this altar, you just come on right now. You don't have to raise your hand. Just come on right now. God's been good to us and just want to thank Him. Just want to thank Him. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you say, Preacher, God's been good to us, but we're dealing with something, dealing with some challenges. We need His solution. Pray for us this morning. I'm seeing a lot of hands go up. I appreciate that. If you want to slip up, you come on right now as well. Still plenty of room at this altar. Now, let me ask you one more question. Is there anybody here this morning that would say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure heaven is even my home if I were to die today. I'm not sure that I'd wake up in the presence of Jesus. Pray for me. Father, bless the invitation. May it be what you'd have it to be. In Jesus' name. Brother Ken's going to sing us a verse. If you need to come, would you come right now? I hear the Savior saying, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me. Sin had left a crimson stain. 
Hallelujah. Thankfully did this morning. Amen. Brother Ken dismiss us in prayer. Thank you for your kind attention this morning. Let's fellowship together. Brother Ken. Heavenly Father and God, we are thankful, Lord, for the message this morning. What a great reminder. God, we're living in places and we didn't even build. Yeah. God, I thank you, Lord, for the heritage of our nation, Father, the heritage of our churches. God, what history has brought to us, Lord, and God, I'm thankful for that. God, the blood that was shed, lives that was lost. God, give us the freedom that we have. How could we ever, Lord, take it for granted? God, what a challenge this morning. God, what a reminder. God, I pray, Lord, that we would ponder on this. And Father, never forget it. And God, that we would choose to serve this day, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, we love you this morning. God, thank you, Lord, for the message from heaven today. God, may you be with our people, Lord, as we go our separate ways. Keep us all safe, God. Lord, looking forward to the next time we're able to assemble together. It's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.